Good morning, everybody. Happy New Year to you. I hope you're having a good 2024 so far. As for myself, this first week of the year has been a little hectic, if I'm being honest, but it's also been really good. Our 24-hour prayer event this weekend was awesome. From noon on Friday through noon on Saturday, we had people in this building praying around the clock. Uh, There were different stations all over the building, and each one had a specific focus of something to pray about. Uh, That's what the prayer flags are about uh, out in the gathering area. And there was a station right here uh, where uh, you prayed for whoever was preaching. And man, if you prayed for me and and the other people who preach here... uh, Man, thank you for that. We also prayed that uh, Plum Creek would raise up uh, preachers and other ministry leaders and missionaries, and uh, we could just go on and on about all the things we prayed about, and sometimes you feel like, I've I've run out of ideas. I've I've run out of things to pray about. That's, there are always many, many more things, and this event really helped with that, and if you are one of the uh, about 100 people who participated, you know what a huge blessing that was. Uh, Here at Plum Creek, we are devoted to prayer because we know that God responds to the prayers of His people, and if you weren't able to be part of this this time around, Good news, we have several other prayer events already on the calendar for this year. And I am confident that over the course of this year, uh, we will see many answers to prayers that were lifted up this weekend. So if you were part of this in any way, especially the team that helped to plan it, I want to say thank you. You are helping Plum Creek be a praying church. That's who we want to be. All right, so let's jump into the sermon. We are starting this new year with a new series, and we're introducing our big theme for 2024, We Are the Church. And I know that statement might seem a little obvious, might seem kind of simple, but there is a lot to unpack with this theme. And before we get into all that, I have a question that I want you to ask yourself. Um, Looking back on your life, maybe all the way back to childhood, Has there ever been a time when you were outside of a group that you wished you were part of? Maybe it was a group of friends that you wanted to join. Or maybe it was a team that you wanted to play for. Maybe more recently, it was a place that you wanted to work. I think most of us know that feeling, right? Most of us know the feeling of being on the outside looking in. Maybe being an outsider, but you wanted to be an insider. Now, I have a follow-up to that first question, and this is really what I want to know. Why do certain groups make outsiders wish they could join them? I'm curious about that because you and I both know there are plenty of groups that we don't want to be a part of. So what's the difference? Why are some groups attractive and others are not so attractive? Well, that could be the beginning of a big discussion, but I really want to think about this idea in the context of the church. When have you seen the church be a group that others want to join? I asked myself that question this week, and this random memory popped into my head. I was thinking back to my time in youth ministry, uh, working with high school students at a church down in Savannah, Georgia, 
And in our youth group there, uh, we had several students who were just really enthusiastic about almost everything. And they were a lot of fun to be around. For example, I remember this one time when we invented a game. And the game was human curling. You might be familiar with the sport of curling, especially if you happen to be from Canada. And curling is kind of a weird sport. Uh, The players take a stone and you slide that stone down a lane of ice and you're trying to hit a target on the other end. And somehow brooms are also involved. It's just kind of strange. But human curling is different. Instead of a stone, we used a round dolly, like the ones you put under a big trash can. And one person would sit on that round dolly, and a second person would push the first person toward a target. It was actually very cool. And uh, luckily, I happened to have a short video of our youth group doing a human curling tournament. So this will give you a glimpse of these enthusiastic kids that I'm talking about. So let's check this out. When you win a human curling tournament, that is a big deal. Now, when I see that video, it just takes me back. I remember what it was like to be part of that youth group and and to spend time with those students. It was a lot of fun. That was the kind of group that others want to join. And I've actually seen the same thing next door at the Life Center when I peeked in on our youth group on Sunday nights. That enthusiasm. You just look at that and you're like, I want to be a part of that. Now, I want to bring this back around to the church Almost 2,000 years ago, in the earliest days of Christianity, the church was a group that others wanted to join. There's an amazing snapshot of the early church in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Uh, Listen to this. Acts 2.42 says, They, the early Christians, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, And to prayer, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. When I read that description, I think, wow, I want to be a part of a group like that. Because there's something going on there that's not normal. It's not natural. It's supernatural. 
at that time and in that place and among that group of people, God was doing amazing things. The Holy Spirit was moving in a powerful way. Miracles were happening. Lives were changing. These people were unified and united. They loved each other. They shared life together. And for them, church wasn't a place. It wasn't a building. Church wasn't some meeting that you attend an hour or two a week. For them, church was their life. It was their family. They were devoted and committed, not just to each other, but to Jesus. And did you notice verse 47 there? It's really interesting. What did outsiders think about this group? That early church enjoyed the favor of all the people. So, outsiders looked at this group and they liked what they saw. And from there, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So, let's think about this. Why did these outsiders become insiders? What was the main attraction there? What was the big draw? Well, we need to be very clear about this. The real attraction of the early church was not the people themselves. The real attraction of the early church was that God was present. He was working. People could see Jesus in and among these people. So that's the picture we get from Acts chapter 2. Now, let's think about our situation in our time and our place. You've probably noticed that America is changing. I talked about this on Vision Night a few months ago. We're seeing some dramatic shifts in the spiritual makeup of our country. Uh, You might have heard stories or statistics that refer to the rise of the nuns. So what's that word nuns? What's that about? Well, the nuns are, are, that refers to anyone who would call themselves atheist or agnostic or they have no faith in particular. If they fill out a survey and they get to a question that asks about their religious beliefs, they would answer none. Now, in 1972, only 5% of Americans fell into that category of the nuns. In 2021, that number rose to 29%. 5% up to 29%. So 29% of Americans describe themselves as atheist or agnostic or they have no faith in particular. And of course, that trend has a big effect on churches. For example, over the past 25 years, 40 million Americans stopped going to church. Think about that. 16% of the U.S. population used to go to church, but somewhere along the line, they stopped. And why did that happen? Well, it depends on the person, um, but there are lots of possible reasons. Some people decide they don't agree with some of what the church believes. Some people struggle with doubt uh, about the Bible or they have some crisis of faith. Sometimes, though, people become disillusioned with church because so-called Christians are behaving in a way that's not very Christ-like. Maybe it's hypocrisy or legalism or scandals. And it's sad, but there's a long list of Christian leaders who have been exposed in some kind of moral failure 
That's so damaging. But then you've got those people who never made a conscious decision to leave church. They just drifted away. They got into other things. They, they got distracted. And we really saw that trend accelerate during COVID because we all had to take a break for a little while from physically being present at church. But uh, when that pandemic led up, some people never made it back to church because their lives were just full of other things. Whatever the reasons, though, these trends are real. And as the church, we have a decision to make. How do we respond to these changes in our culture? Well, different churches have different responses. Uh, One response is to huddle together and just stay separate from the culture. And there's a problem with that approach. The problem is if we completely separate ourselves from the surrounding culture, we're not going to have much influence in this world. Now, that's one response, but other churches take a very different approach. Those churches say, yes, the culture around us is changing, and we're going to go with the flow will conform to the world around us. If certain parts of the Bible become unpopular, we'll just change what we believe. Now, there are lots of problems with that approach. For one thing, on a very practical level, uh, when a church is willing to compromise and conform to the world, outsiders look in and say, why would I care about joining you? (laughs) You're no different than me. Again, little to no influence. So we've got two responses that don't work, but what is the right response? What is God calling us to do? Who is God calling us to be as a church? Well, it's actually not that complicated. We need to go back to what we see in the book of Acts. We need to follow the original pattern and the original blueprint for the church. We need to be who Jesus calls us to be. And, and what is that calling? Well, here it is. Jesus calls us to be the church he established. A dynamic, world-changing body of believers who bring God glory by making disciples and expanding his kingdom. It's that simple. This is how we should respond to what's happening in the world today. We need to be who Jesus calls us to be. Now, I say it's simple, but it's not easy, is it? We, we actually can't do this ourselves. We will never get church right unless God is the one building the church. But this is really good news because that's exactly what God wants to do. And when we surrender to Him, He will do great things in us and through us. And He'll help us look more like the church in the book of Acts. So this is our theme at Plum Creek this year. We are the church. This theme is a declaration. We don't just go to church. We are the church. And this theme is a reminder. We have got to remember our true identity, our true calling. And this theme is also a call to action. Church was never meant to be passive. This is not a spectator sport. God has given all of us a mission to accomplish. And most of us know about that mission because we talk about it all the time. Matthew 28, right before Jesus left this world, he gave his disciples a big task. He said, go into the world and make more disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. We call that the Great Commission. Back in the first century, this was the mission of the church. We have the same mission today. We're here to lead people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus. And that means we can't turn inward and focus on ourselves. That means we can't compromise and conform and blend in with the world. That means we will pray in faith, knowing that God still changes lives, even in this crazy culture. And the amazing thing is, God wants to partner with us. He wants to use us to bring Him glory and to make Him known in our community and our region and our world. So here's the plan. Over the next three months, we're going to look at different passages in the book of Acts. And in January, we'll focus on the pattern of the church. In February, we'll focus on the purpose of the church. And then in the month of March, we'll discover the power of the church. So, pattern, purpose, power. And we're not just going to learn about these things. We're going to take what we learn and put it into practice. And I need to let you know up front that the journey won't always be comfortable. In the month of April, uh, we have a, a series coming up called Audacious Faith. And you might want to start praying about that one. I'll be honest, there are many times when I'd rather sit back and be comfortable. But you know what? We get bored with our faith when our faith is too small. We get bored with church when we come and we sit and we listen and we evaluate and we leave. That's not what church is about. When we participate with the mission that God has given us, church is anything but boring. I'm in this unique position where I get to see Jesus changing lives on a regular basis. It's, it's an amazing blessing. And we try to share some of those life change stories here on Sunday morning, but you don't get to hear all of them. So my prayer and my dream is that all of us will get a front row seat to watch Jesus changing lives week after week and even day by day, like what we just read in Acts. For that to happen, though, we all need to jump in and participate in this mission. And that is part of the original design. God wants to use all of us to lead people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells a story that helps us understand this mission. And it helps us understand the mission from His perspective. It's the story of a lost sheep. In the back of the room here, you might have seen a, a display with some sheep, and that was one of the stations at our prayer event. And it relates to the story in Luke 15. So I want to go ahead and read this. Luke 15, verse 3, Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. 
I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. That's a great story. And as I read that this week, I was thinking about the fact that all of us have had a turn being the lost sheep, right? Because all of us sinned against God. We wandered away from Him. All of us deserve to be separated from Him forever. But that wasn't the end of the story. This story shows us the heart of Jesus. That shepherd leaves the 99 to go out and find the lost one. And if you are that sheep who was lost and now you are found, and many of us are, Aren't you grateful for that? Aren't you so glad that Jesus was not willing to settle for 99? His heart went out to the lost sheep. And his plan is for the church to follow his example. And that means every one of us should have a one. If you've been around Plum Creek for a while, you've heard me talk about this. Your one is a person you know who needs to know Jesus. As of right now, this person is far from God. They're lost and they need to come home. And God has put this person on your heart. He's put you in a position where you can be an influence. So, who is that person for you? Do you know? Who is your one? It's important to keep that question on the front burner because it's so easy for a church to circle up with the 99 and forget about the one. Here at our church, we've started to make this part of our regular conversations and our regular meetings. We ask each other, who is your one right now? How are things going with your one? And I want to give you permission to come up to any of us on staff, any of us in leadership and say, okay, do you have a one? How are things going with your one? We need to encourage each other in this and hold each other accountable. Now, I realize this idea can be very intimidating. So over the past year, we've outlined some simple steps that can help you be intentional with your one. And I'll go through them quickly here. First, you identify your one. Who is that person? Who who do you know that needs to begin a life-changing relationship with Jesus? Who has God put on your heart? Once you identify that person, you consistently pray for that person. Pray for God to do what only He can do. And then you look for ways to make a connection. Um, You just build a closer friendship with no strings attached We worked on this last year in the Love Your Neighbor series. This is what we do. We look for ways to be a blessing to other people. And then from there, as that connection grows, we just ask God, what's my next step? What would you like me to do? Maybe your next step is to tell the story of how Jesus changed your life. We worked on this last year, too. You remember the testimony challenge where you write out the story of how Jesus changed your life. It's so important to be ready to tell that story to whoever needs to hear it. So that might be your next step, but it could be that you need to invite 
the other person to take their next step. That may be as simple as inviting them to church. It could also be an invitation, a direct invitation to follow Jesus. Again, you just pray, you connect, and and you follow where God leads you. And whenever you start to feel uncomfortable or intimidated, remember, you're not alone in this mission. This is not on your shoulders. It's not on my shoulders. We can't change anyone. God is the one who changes hearts, and he's promised to be with us. So as you go about this mission, God is with you, and that's a good thing. But it's not just you and God. This mission is something we do together as a church. It's part of the design. So how does that work exactly? Well, this is how I want to spend the rest of our time here. A few years ago, our church came across a model called the Great Commission Engine. This model, it's, it's a picture that helps us understand how God uses the church to accomplish our mission. It helps us understand how outsiders can become insiders, how lost sheep can become found sheep. So let's take a minute to to look at this picture. We start with a circle that represents your one, and we'll build this engine around that circle. The Great Commission engine has three pistons. Piston one is gathering. Piston two is community. And piston three is surrender. Now, these three elements are foundational in the life of the church, and we see these three elements in the book of Acts, in the original design. So, let's look at these one at a time. First, piston one, the gathering. This is the large group gathering of the church. In our setting, this is it. It's what we do on Sunday mornings. Uh, We come together, we sing praises to God, we take the Lord's Supper together. And we listen to God's Word. And we saw an example of this in Acts 2.46. We read this a few minutes ago. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Now, at this point, the church was already thousands of people. So this was a large group gathering. And based on that description, looks like we're slacking a little bit, right? Because we only do this once a week. They did it every day. So I guess we all need to come back tomorrow, same time. Well, actually, um, this is where we should recognize that our context is different than the context of the early church. Um, For example, there are some things we can't duplicate, like we can't meet in the temple courts, Because number one, we don't live in Jerusalem, and number two, the temple isn't even there anymore. Another thing that would be difficult for us to duplicate is that everyday meeting plan. Most of us have jobs that require us to work all week, so uh, probably not going to meet every day. But we can follow that pattern uh, when we worship here on Sundays. And just like the early church, we can devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching right here, to fellowship, making a a priority to get together, to the breaking of bread, taking the Lord's Supper together, and to prayer, to be a praying church. Here in this environment, we give glory to God, and we point each other to Jesus, and we surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit. 
And over the years, I've seen God work in this large group gathering in a powerful way. Uh, Many lost sheep have found their way home in worship services like this. Okay, let's look at Piston 2, community. This is where the church breaks down into smaller groups, and this is absolutely essential because you can't build deep relationships with other people in the large group. At some point, we have to get out of these rows and get to an environment that's small enough where we can really get to know each other. So did they do this in the book of Acts? Yes, we read that too. The second half of Acts 2.46, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Piston 2 is part of the original design, part of the original pattern. And here at Plum Creek, this is why we have life groups. Our life groups, on average, are about 10 to 12 people. And in these groups, we hang out together, we pray together, we study God's Word together. And through those relationships, we encourage each other. We challenge each other to grow closer to Jesus. Now, if you aren't currently in a group like that, we have two brand new life groups starting in February. In addition to life groups, we also have Bible study electives on Sunday morning. You can jump into those anytime. And there's a list of all of these groups on our website, plumcreek.org slash smallgroups. You can see them all there. Okay, what about Piston 3, surrender? Well, this is a big one. Uh, Every follower of Jesus is called to a life of surrender. That means you deny yourself. You pick up your cross and you follow wherever Jesus leads. And no, we don't always feel like denying ourselves. It's not always fun. But there's a huge blessing on the other side of that surrender. And where do we see Piston 3 in the early church? We see it all over the place, but one example is what we just read. Acts 2, 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. That is surrendered living right there. That's an attitude that says, Lord, I realize everything I have isn't really mine. It's all yours. It all belongs to you. So whenever you want me to let go of some of what I have and give to others, I'm happy to do that. So that's one example of surrender, but actually a lot of things fall under this umbrella. God will lead us to serve in ministry. He'll lead us to give of our time and treasure and talents, and He will lead us to go into the world and and make an impact for His kingdom. So these are the three pistons of the Great Commission engine, and when this engine is firing on all cylinders, We see God do amazing things. This is what we pray for when we pray for our ones. We pray for lost sheep to be found, that they will make that decision to follow Jesus. We pray that they will join this community where we can all grow together. And then we pray that all of us will surrender to God's leading so that we can go change the world. And I I tell you what, when all of these things are happening... The church becomes contagious. Outsiders look in and say, wow, I'd love to be part of a group like that. 
Not because we're anything special in and of ourselves, but because God is working among us. His Holy Spirit is doing things. Now, I do want to be realistic. That snapshot at the end of Acts chapter 2, things didn't stay that way very long. That was the design, but, uh, you know, because people are people and none of us are perfect, even after we uh, make that decision to follow Jesus, uh, things get tough. You run into problems. You see that through the rest of the New Testament. The church ran into um, internal struggles and external struggles. You know, at first, the church enjoyed the favor of all the people, but some of those outsiders turned against the church for one reason or another. And some of those outsiders persecuted followers of Jesus. In other words, the culture was changing around them. But that's okay. There were some rough days ahead for the church, but the church was never going to be defeated. Jesus said that. He called it ahead of time. He said, the gates of hell will never prevail against my church. And that has been true for almost 2,000 years, and it's still true today. So let's not hold back. Let's be bold. Let's be the church Jesus calls us to be. This is who we are. We are the church. Let's pray. Father, I I thank you for this group, this body of believers here at Plum Creek. And no, we're not perfect. We have a lot of room to grow. No church is perfect. But I pray that you will help us to Just surrender more and more to your will, your design to follow the pattern that you've laid out for the church. And I pray that we will be contagious, not because of us, but because you are here and you are working. So I pray for that this year and beyond, that Plum Creek will be effective in our mission of bringing you glory, leading people to you, and helping to grow your kingdom. We are desperate for you in that goal. So we pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen.